in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We'll be beginning with verse 10 and making our way all the way through chapter 7, verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, starting with verse 10, making our way all the way through to chapter 7, verse 14. And if you remember last week, um, it was a, a parallel text where you started A1 and you ended with A2, and the main point was in the middle of the passage. Well, today, uh, you get an inclusio. Uh, the main point is trust God, and then in the middle, you have all of this wisdom, uh, truth to live by, and the end, 7, 13, and 14, is back to a call to trust God. And it's interesting, when you look at these two passages together, last week's text and this week's, you see, if you remember the parable of the sower, it talks about the, the sower is throwing out seed, throwing out the word of God, throwing out the gospel. And it falls among thorns, and thorns grow up and choke the life out so that there's no fruit produced. And that was last week. That's going after money. That's pursuing things other than God. And that will choke out the life spiritually in you. But there's also a, another group, uh, another part of the soil, where you throw it and it's on the rocks and sprouts up quickly, but the sun comes and burns it up. And that's a little bit more of what we're talking about today. We're talking a little bit about adversity. When life doesn't go according to plan. And everybody in this room is in the same boat. Life will not go according to your plans. But it is going according to God's plan. And the call is to trust God. In good times and in bad times, trust God. Let's start. Chapter 6, verse 10. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? Chapter 7, verse 1. Good name is better than perfume. And the day of death, better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than listen to the song of fuels. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? 
When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you move in a mighty way. Help us understand what you have for us this morning. Pray that we lean in and trust on you. Help us walk in wisdom. And whether times are good or times are bad, we trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you read through that text, I wonder if you were thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense. A time for mourning is better than a time for feasting. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. It doesn't sound like he has too bright of an outlook, does it? I think we've got to start back with a more basic question. What is life all about? More specifically, what is your life all about? Who are you living for? And I think how you answer this question will determine how you apply this text. The truth of it will not change. But if you're going to understand this, the text is clear, the Bible is clear. Life is not about you, and life is not about me. And, and the crazy part, now listen, I'm going to go back and try to rely on a college class I had. It was a science class. Do I have any scientists in the room? Yes, I do. Do you remember what year around did people finally figure out the sun does not revolve around the earth, the earth revolves around the sun? And that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. So for hundreds of years, people thought, earth was the center of the universe everything rotated around it now there were a couple guys that were a little bit more hip to the game came out with a different theory no no the earth revolves around the sun and eventually you get to a guy named galileo who was finally able to prove it because he could show you jupiter and moons rotating around jupiter as we rotate around the sun now listen, I don't remember much about my biology class at uh, Thomas More College, but I remember reading a sentence, and it's a spiritual truth. It says, the world, all of the planets in the universe, revolve around the sun. And I thought, that's a simple truth. It's also a spiritual reality. Life is not about you, and it's not about me. The world does not revolve around me and my plans and my schedule. The world revolves around God and His plans and His glory. And when we remember that, it gives us purpose and meaning in life that will last. If life is about you and your plans, you will live a miserable life. But if you live to the glory of God and trust in His plan for your life, watch out. It won't be easy, but in it you will find joy you will find peace, you will find purpose. The world revolves around the sun. The question is, does your life revolve around Jesus, or do you have it twisted? That's what this text deals with. The day of 
adversity. When the seasons come, how are you going to navigate through them? It is easy to follow Jesus when things are good. But that's not the call, is it? Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That's what this text is all about. Ecclesiastes 7.14, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. How do you get through all the seasons of life? And I'm looking out at, at our church. We've been through a lot of seasons. There's a lot of heartache in the room. You might be going through that season right now. And if you're not walking through that season right now, you can rest assured the season's coming. What are you going to do when suffering comes your way? When things don't go according to how you thought they would go? And we can give you examples. Will I bless God only if my four daughters are healthy? But what if one of them gets sick? What if I have to bury my spouse before a 50th wedding anniversary? Is God still worthy of praise? What happens if I find out my health is failing and cancer is growing in somewhere? Will I still think much of Jesus? You see, that's what this text is dealing with. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I hope you have anchored your soul to Jesus. My goal in life is to hold on to Him. No matter what comes my way, to hold on to Him. And this is what I'm going to ask going through seasons. Life might be falling apart. The jobs may come and go. The health may deteriorate. My question is, but what is God doing? But what is God doing? And you'll see this again and again and again throughout the Bible. It doesn't look like God has a plan, and yet He is working it to perfection. So when things are hard, consider this. God has made the good and the bad ask but what is God doing number one as you walk through the seasons as you're trying to navigate life and life will not be easy first thing trust God verses 10 and 12 you see this God does the naming he is working his redemption plan to perfection whatever exists has already been named this is not a hard thing for God God is infinitely bigger and wiser than our brains can imagine. We serve an awesome God. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. God has things in store for you and for me that we should walk in them. That He has prepared for us beforehand. 
But not only does God do the naming, we also see that God is stronger. No one can crash his plans. Have you ever had a great plan and then it just come tumbling down? I have. I have on an anniversary occasion. I had a great plan and it didn't work. But the good news is I got another anniversary. We got to try it again. I hate it when you have this plan and it just doesn't work. God doesn't have that problem. It always goes according to his plan. You see that part where it says, how can a weaker contend with the stronger? And Paul asks this question later in Romans. says, but who are you, a human being, to talk to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? This is a very humbling text because it reminds us that we aren't in charge and that the world doesn't revolve around us. But isn't that healthy? I'll use Dia. She won't mind if I use her as an example. She's a two-year-old. And you know what? When she's around Grandma and Grandpa and Mimi and Poppy, the world does revolve around her. It's a crazy thing. I can... uh, Spoil to death. But can you imagine, at home, she asked for yogurt. Mom gets up and gets her yogurt. She asked for a snack. Another sister gets up and gets her lucky charms. She asked for someone to pull her chair out, and we pull out the chair. She wants Super Y on the TV. She's a little upset. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse has gotten old. So we put Super Y up on the TV. She has one pair of shoes, but she needs Crocs. She gets Crocs, she doesn't like those Crocs. She wants boots. She gets boots, she doesn't like those boots. She wants slippers. We get them. She wants a dress, but it's not the right dress. Not enough thread count on that one. We gotta take it back and bring back a better one. Can you imagine the monster we would be creating? It's very important for a two-year-old to understand the world does not revolve around them. It is so much more important that we, created by God, in the image of God, loved by God, realize the world does not revolve around us. It revolves around our Creator. So the question is, will you trust God? Now, what does this look like? Uh, We have an Old Testament and a New Testament example. But you also have an example of people just falling away from Jesus. There was this crowd that was following Jesus, and uh, they hadn't eaten for a couple of days, so they're hungry. And he tells the disciples, hey, have them sit down, and we're going to feed them. And the disciples are like, how are we going to feed them? We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money to provide for all of these thousands of people. How are we going to do this? And Jesus is like, just sit them down. And they start passing out food, and they have baskets left over. And so more and more people hear about this, and they start flocking to Jesus. But they're going after Jesus because of what they can get out of him, not because they want Jesus. And so Jesus turns around and gives them some really hard sayings. And they start to leave. The numbers start to dwindle. The people are like, well, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I'm out. If I can't get this out of him, I don't want anything to do with him. And there's a lot of people on our planet 
that had the same view of Jesus. If I can get something out of Jesus, great, but if not, I'm gone. But that's not saving faith. But there's another group of people that you see all throughout the Bible of how to trust God, saving faith. There was these group of young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they're living life, things are good, until Babylon comes to town and takes the whole country captive. And they're taken to a foreign land and serving a foreign king. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. Probably the most powerful man on the planet at this time. Creates this huge golden statue. And he says, hey, when I strike up this band, everybody in the land is going to take a knee and worship this golden image. So the band goes, people hit the ground, except for a few. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't bowing down. They will not worship the statue. And there's other people that see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're like, oh, this is our chance. We want their spots. They're ruling over some of the stuff in the land. We want their position. We're going to go tell the king. So they go in front of the king. King, hey, you made this decree. When the music sounds, people are supposed to worship, and if not, you're going to throw them into the blazing furnace. Well, there are three guys that don't care about your gods, and they don't care about you. King Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Who would dare not do what the king commanded? He called them in. He said, maybe you didn't hear the music, but when the band strikes up, you're going to bow down, or we're going to toss you into the furnace. And I love their response. Their response is, Nebuchadnezzar, you can do what you want, but the God that we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace. But if not... Know this, we will not bow down to that image. That's what it means to trust God. You can throw me in the furnace or not, I'm following Jesus. And you know how this story ends. Nebuchadnezzar is furious, says, crank that thing up. Soldiers take to throw them in, and as they do, the soldiers fall down dead. The three guys plunge into the furnace, and they're just walking around. Nebuchadnezzar tells them to come on out. Their bodies aren't burned. Their hair's not singed. Their robe's not touched by the flames. This guy showed up. Then there's a New Testament example. Remember the apostles? The, the followers of Jesus? And often I look back and I'm like, man, what would it be like to be able to walk with Jesus day in and day out, to see him in the flesh? But when you start looking at what the apostles went through, I don't know if we'd want to trade spots with them. And on one occasion, in Acts chapter 5, they're out, they're sharing the gospel, God is blessing them, their numbers are growing. And my guess, if we're a part of the early church, if we're a part of this, we're like, yeah, Life is good. These guys speak. People hear. They believe in Jesus. They're saved. The Lord's adding to our number. Sick people are healed. The demon-possessed are let go. Like, this is awesome. Until it's not. The religious leaders get a little jealous because they're losing power, losing people. And they say, let's get those guys arrested. And they put them into the jail cell and leave them there overnight. Well, in the middle of the night, it says an angel comes, opens up the doors, and says, hey, you need to get back out there and keep speaking. 
And now, just think about the roller coaster the apostles are on. Man, we're teaching, we're healing, everything's going well, and now we're arrested. Where's God? Right? I, I thought this was what we were supposed to do. Now we're in, sitting in a jail cell. Where's God? But then the angel shows up. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. But what is God doing? He tells them to get back out there. Get back to teaching. This is in front of the same people that just put their leader to death. And they go back to the temple courts and start teaching. Well, the Sanhedrin gathers together in the morning. They say, hey, go get those apostles. The guards go to get them. They see the guards still standing there. The doors are still locked. They open up the door. Nobody's there. And then word gets back. Hey, remember those guys you locked up? They're out here preaching. So they go and get them, bring them before the Sanhedrin. And they say, hey, you guys need to stop talking about Jesus. And Peter stands up for the group and says, hey, you tell us. Rather, we should obey God or obey you. And it says that these leaders were furious and wanted to put them to death. Thankfully, there was one guy that talked them out of it. So they didn't put him to death. They call him back in front of the Sanhedrin. They say, hey, don't speak anymore about Jesus. They flogged them and then sent them on their way. What would you have done in that situation? You're arrested. You're standing in front of the Sanhedrin. They have the power to put you to death. And they say, stop talking about Jesus. You say, oh, okay, we got you. We, we understand. You see, for, for the apostles, it was all about, I'm going to obey God, not you. And it says that they were sent away rejoicing and then every day from house to house and in the temple, they did not cease to speak about Jesus. You couldn't shut them up. You see, that's the type of life I want to live. I want to trust God whether everything is going well or everything is going wrong. I want to trust God when things are good or when I am suffering for the cause of Christ. I just want to trust Jesus. Remember King Nebo, Nebuchadnezzar? He was probably the most powerful man on the planet, was one of the wonders of the seven worlds he created, the Hanging Gardens, King of Babylon. The Bible talks about how he walks out on his porch and he sees everything that he built, and he says, look at the kingdom that I built. He thought the world revolved around him. And then God showed up and said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, just so you know, you're going to be out eating grass with the cows because you think you're something. And sure enough, <laughs> he wakes up, goes out, eats with the cows, loses his mind, and then God restores his sanity. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes back and says, whoa, 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 only God. Only God. Where are you in your life? Who's calling the shots? Who's sitting on the throne? Are you here right now thinking that it's about my schedule, my life, my bank account, or, or are you living for Jesus? Do you trust God with what is going on in your life, the good and the bad? So number one, trust God, but then he moves into chapter 7. And it's this call to turn to truth. And these are just wise sayings. 
And, and there's ten applications here. We're not going to spend too much time on each one. But each of these are wise sayings, which you would do better if you lived by them. So because you don't know the future, that's what he leaves us in, in chapter 6. Because we don't know what will happen under the sun, these are some things that we can live by. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds. So how should we live today? That's what he's talking about. Well, the first thing he talks about is a good name is better than perfume. A good name is better than perfume. Why is that? You can buy perfume. You cannot buy a good name. You cannot buy a good name. Your character is more valuable than anything money can buy. Now, this is very, very sobering. It is easy to act the part a little bit during whatever day. But that text is getting at who you are in private. Are you a person of integrity? Do you walk the walk or do you just talk the talk? A good name, better than perfume. And then he, he moves on, and the next four hit pretty hard. The day of death, better than the day of birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take heart. Now we'll, we'll come back, we'll circle back to why that is true. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Heart of fools in the house of pleasure. This, is, this doesn't sound right, does it? Does it sound right to you? I would think this would be reversed. So what is the writer trying to get us to? He's trying to teach you on the brevity of life. He's trying to teach me on how quick this passes. When you're laughing it up with fools, you think you've got forever, but you don't. And you'll miss opportunities. You think tomorrow's promised, but it's not. And so you'll miss out today. When you go to a funeral, you realize how quickly life passes. I know this is strange, but cutting grass, we would go to the cemetery, and, and weed-eating the cemetery, weed-eating the tombstones, there's a date on the stones. And some got 10 years, and 30 years, and 40 years. Some got into the 80s and 90s, but all of them, time was gone. And it's a reminder, now is the time to live for God. We don't have forever. We have today. That's what it means to gain a heart of wisdom. Today is a good time to make the phone call. Today is the good time to make the visit. Today is the good time to write a letter. Today is a good time to do what Jesus has called you to do. As it goes quicker than you realize better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools and this is one of those things this is this is what i pray for my daughters this is what i pray for students because what will happen a lot of times you get a lot of friends around and everybody thinks it's a good idea but it's not if i were you i would ask god for some wise counselors in your life someone that can call you out someone that can correct you when needed and you think well that doesn't sound fun 
the pain of not being corrected is much more severe. As a, a matter of fact, what you see again and again in the Bible is that it's the wounds of a friend can be trusted while enemies multiply kisses. And what that means is when people are honest with you, it's going to feel like a wound, but it can be trusted. All of us have blind spots. We need people who are loving us, call us back onto the path of following Jesus. We don't need a bunch of yes men and yes women telling us, yeah, do whatever your heart feels like. Yeah, chase that, chase this, do this. We don't need song of fools. We need wise counselors. And then he moves on. And I think this is a, a plea in verse 7 to stay wise. Extortion turns you into a fool. Bribes corrupt the heart. Be honest. Live a life of integrity. There are no shortcuts. Don't take advantage of people. Don't go for get-rich-quick schemes. Don't take a bribe to hide injustice or to get ahead, fight for a promotion. What a warning that a wise person can be made a fool in one decision. Be very, very careful how you live, especially in regards to money and wealth. In verse 8, the first part, the end of the matter is better than the beginning. There's so many people that start stuff, but so few who finish. In a world filled with starters, be a finisher. Do what God has called you to until He calls you home. Again and again, I use this example. Gene Wagner, my grandpa, 91 years old, Magnolia Springs, he could be feeling sorry for himself. About a year and a half ago, he was driving this minivan with his wife, enjoying the freedom of life, and now he's stuck in an assisted care facility. And he could be saying, poor me. Stuck in here, I can't even go out and get a cheeseburger if I want it but that's not how he sees life you see he had a calling on his life that he received at an early age and he's going to finish what he was called to do as a matter of fact this afternoon is when they have service at Magnolia Springs and he's preaching and he goes Ben I feel bad I can't stand up anymore my legs don't have the strength he goes but my voice is fine and it sure is gives a resounding clear message from the Word of God. He's a finisher. In a world full of starters, be a finisher. And he keeps moving on through this wisdom, truth to live by. Patience is better than pride. Patience is better than pride. Don't be quickly provoked in your spirit. Anger resides in the laps of fools. Are you quick-tempered? Is it easy for you to get angry? What if we followed you driving and someone cuts you off? How does that go? How long do you sit on the horn? All of us have spots where certain things get on our nerves. But be very, very careful if you are quick to throw a temper. That's where fools live. 
And then he, he moves on to verse 10, don't live in the past. Ecclesiastes 7.10, don't, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask questions. Now, why is that not wise? Why is that not wise? I think there's a few reasons. One, hard times make it easy to complain. Hard times make it easy to complain about stuff. Well, I remember when this was better. Does that help? No. Just adds to the state we're in. But then also, looking back causes us to miss in living now. We live in the past, you can't live in the present. And God's doing something now. I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. Every day is a closer day to being with Jesus forever. And so live now to the glory of God with your eyes on Jesus, who can return at any moment. Don't say, mm, I back then, things were much better. And then finally, get wisdom, verses 11 and 12. Wisdom's like an inheritance. It's a good thing. Benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Helps you navigate life. Keeps you from dumb decisions. Foolish actions. It protects you like if you have money. And you need something to help you. You can get it. Well, wisdom does that. There's a benefit to having wisdom. And I love how wisdom ends the section on turning to truth and leads us back into trusting God. Because we can't change what God has planned. And we're not in control. We should walk in that wisdom. The scholar Leopold puts it this way, Wisdom is trusting God who holds the future. This effect on man is designed by God for the very purpose that man may recognize how little he can do and how cheerfully he ought to trust God. Such an attitude is the attitude of true wisdom. Do you trust God with your life? And listen, we live in a time where our future is very unstable. There was one virus that comes and locks down a country. People are terrified. We look at the economy and think that that's a hope. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. But I know God. And my life is in His hands. And nobody can pluck me out of His hand. So I'm going to trust Him. Good, bad, ugly. I'm going to trust Him. I'm not going to rely on my health. I'm not going to rely on my resources. I'm not going to rely on my wisdom, on my strength. All of that's gone. But give me Jesus. And that's the call Verses 13 and 14, when times are good, trust God and be happy. And when times are bad, trust God. I'll leave you with this. There's a, a Chinese proverb. And, and it talks about this, and I want to make sure we clarify. This is not what we're talking about. Right? Talking about faith. Chinese proverb goes... A farmer and his son had a beloved horse, helped the family earn a living. One day, the horse ran away, and the neighbors came. Oh, man, what bad luck. 
The farmer replied, maybe, but we'll see. A few days later, the horse returned, leading a few wild horses back to the farm as well. The neighbors showed back up. Your horses have returned and brought more horses. What great luck. The farmer replied, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break in one of the new horses. She threw him off onto the ground, breaking his leg. The villager showed back up. Your son has a broken leg. What terrible luck. And the farmer replied, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. A few weeks later, soldiers came from the National Army, marched through the town, recruiting all able-bodied young men for the army. The farmer's son was not conscripted because he was still recovering from his injuries. And the neighbors shouted, your boy was spared. What great luck. To which the farmer said, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. You see, we don't live by fate or by chance. We don't live on a wing and a prayer. We live by a God who does the naming. By a God who has all power. By a God who is working his plan to perfection. We don't hope he knows what he's doing. We know he knows what he's doing. And so we trust him. It's not a maybe, maybe not, we'll see. It's a I know. A couple of things throughout the Bible when I talked about when things are good and when things are bad. The question is always, but what is God doing? Just going through, going through the Bible, I just want you to hear it. And some of you know the accounts of these men and these women, and some of you don't. But I just want you to see a few things. Joseph, youngest son in his family, was not doing anything wrong, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. But what was God doing? He works his way up, working for a guy. He's falsely accused by his wife, and he's thrown in prison and forgotten day after day, week after week. But what was God doing? You move on, and you have God's people living in slavery in Egypt, and he raises up a leader, Moses, to get them on out. And Moses leads them to a body of water and an army chasing them, closing in. And the people ask, were there not graves in Egypt that we could have died there? But what was God doing? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken captive and told to bow down and worship a golden image or they'd be thrown into a furnace. They could have said God had forgotten them. But what was God doing? Esther is the queen, and yet her people are being put to death. And she could have remained safe and not opened up her mouth, but what was God doing? Jesus had a friend. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus loves his family. Lazarus gets sick. Word gets to Jesus, hey, the one you love, he's, he's sick. You need to come and help. Jesus doesn't get there in time. As a matter of fact, by the time Jesus showed up, Lazarus had been buried for four days. But what was God doing? The Son of God was falsely accused, spat on, beaten, 
nailed his hands and his feet to a cross and hung on a tree. But what was God doing? Taken down from the cross, thrown into a borrowed tomb, stone rolled away. But what was God doing? Life is not easy. Life is very, very difficult. It will include suffering. But the question is, what is God doing? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray that you hide this truth deep into our hearts and into our minds. Father, forgive us when we think life is about us. Help us realize that life is about you. Father, I pray that you move in a powerful way now. I pray that you give us wisdom. Help us see how things really are. Help us trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.